Hello! Uh, we are going to begin here. Uh, I don't know if everybody here knows uh, what we're doing, uh, but we're doing a live version of the Loud Fast Billy Project. Uh, this is a series of uh, audio interviews with people involved in the punk scene. Uh, and for our event tonight, we have a panel of uh, people involved who came out of punk or are currently involved in punk who uh, are business owners. Uh, and what we wanted to do was find out the connection between these punks and businesses and how it interconnects and interrelates. Uh, so let me briefly introduce everybody here who's on the panel and then I'll have them uh, at first talk a little bit about themselves. We have Rob John and J.P. Flexner from the Chamonix Brewing Company here, Chamonix Creek Brewing. We have Mike Barone from the Dragon House. Uh, we have Shannon Rose from Crust Vegan Bakery. Mike Ski from True Hand Society, a tattoo parlor. And, uh, I'm sorry, Josie DiCarlo uh, from Barnett Fair, which is a hair salon, right? Yes. So what I wanted to have everybody do at first was uh, tell me how you came into punk, what were your gateway bands or your interest in coming into the scene, just kind of move through everybody, and then uh, we'll move on to more specific questions. Sure. Uh, uh, very quickly, I mean, the, the quickest way I got involved with uh, knowing Jeremy uh, Myers, who's my partner in the business, is when I went to Rowan University in South Jersey. I met a bunch of other people that were in the same music. They were in a small punk band called Woman Choice. Were you from South Jersey? I'm, I've lived all over New Jersey. Okay. Closer to uh, like Owl Freehold area. Okay. Um, but I met these guys from Tom's River. They eventually moved out to Philly and they played shows in, in, in Philly and pretty much everywhere. But basically after we graduated from college and we all got our teaching degrees and whatnot, I decided to go and travel with them and go on tour. So I went to Europe and traveled around the, the entire country. And then basically once I decided not to be a roadie anymore, I, uh, and I knew Jeremy, we uh, got together and decided to start the brewery together and uh, evolved from there. And as you can see, we put on a bunch of shows in the brewery and at the punk rock flea market here in the past, so we kind of incorporate our vibe and especially with JP coming on board too. You know, our overall vibe is that, you know, incorporating the punk aspects in all those ways. So JP, what was then your, how did you come into uh, Yeah, 
I think I got started from freshman year of high school with a close friend. had an older brother with a lot of teeth. with very interesting band names like Earth Crisis and Black Flag. And, um, so yeah, we started to go in a record store called Full Circle, also in South Jersey. Well, Full Circle was a big gateway for me. I don't, think, I don't know that I knew that you were also uh, South Jersey Full Circle. Oh, but it was Ed Pollock. You know Ed Pollock. It was Ed Pollock that, uh, that had all the tapes. I knew him. I would, yeah, so I know his younger brother. And uh, started going to Full Circle. And I think I picked up the Inside Out EP in 93. And then the guy was like, you should also get this Minor Threat discography. It was, uh, it was basically fucking all from there. So, life changing choice. Yeah. Uh, so, I grew up in Tennessee where there was nothing to do, and there was a Christian skate park an hour and a half away that had shows, and I joined their street team, and I started booking shows where I could throw down and stretch Armstrong. <laughs> were the Christians down with that? Yeah. Mike? I guess uh, I grew up in kind of all over very early on, moved a bunch, and ended up in a shithole Rust Belt town called Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I was like a pretty pissed off little aggro kid. Was getting into BMX and skateboarding, and uh, I had a friend named Chris, and we went to the mall, to the record store, and I bought a record from The Cure, and he bought The Circle Jerks, Group Sex, and uh, we ended up going home and listening to records and deciding that we liked each other's records better, so we ended up switching. So my first record was The Circle Jerks. And uh, it ended up being my first show too. Um, because Yuri was. Do you there. remember where they played? What's up? Do you remember where they played? It was, uh, was at Peabody's in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Yuri kind of sucked at the time. We would do uh, have to travel the shows. So we go to Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Cleveland almost every week to see shows. And um, eventually, we kind of got together and created a scene in Yuri. Uh, put on shows and bring bands through and started bands and played in bands for a long time too, so that's how it all began. Josie? Uh, hello, Jackie. Um, I guess I uh, got into punk with my older sister. She went to college in New York and she brought home a damn director because her boyfriend was into it, so I took it apart and like fell in love with it and just like basically read every band that was in the liner notes and bought all of their records. Um, but I also grew up in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey, and there was no shows or anything. So I um, just started putting on shows and like convinced where, where were you in Jersey? In, well, I grew up in Columbus, New Jersey, um, kind of like border town, south of Trenton area. There was nothing there. There was nothing there. Um, so I convinced all these bands to like come out to Columbus, New Jersey and play VFW halls and like all these people would show up. And I actually used to go to shows in Cow and like Brick and stuff too. There was like a lot of shows out there that I would go to. 
I just can't name, remember the name of the venue that closed down yeah, a couple years ago. I'll think of it. <laughs> it's very strange to be so close to everybody and barely able to hear what, what anyone says, even with the proximity and the amplification. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, well, one of the things I wanted to get to was that all of, all of the different businesses represented here exist in other forms. You know, other people run... Am I fading back? Hello. Uh, you know, there are... Oh, that one's really loud. Um, there are other businesses that exist like, like everyone's here. So I was curious, in coming into each of your respective businesses, what you, you thought you were going to bring in or what you wanted to bring in that you would be doing significantly different from other businesses like yours and, and how you would make your business in some way reflect your personal ethics, your, your interests. And we can just kind of move around to have everybody to, uh, throw in a word on that. a couple different ways. I mean, when we first started, our, our logo and our, our image was completely different. Um, and we were trying to go for a different vibe, honestly. But I really feel that once we brought in JP and, and had our artwork change, you know, it's not necessarily our work ethic change, but our, our vision and our vibe of getting out there and bringing it, because like, beer is a very, it's a personal thing. It's a, it's a universal drink. And you know, so it's music, especially what the scene, like the punk scene is. So I think by you know bringing out that identity and being more vocal about our image in that way, it really transformed and made our company look in a different way. Um, besides that, I mean, you know, we have over 30 employees now, and we're trying to constantly, you know, do a better job taking care of them between getting, you know, healthcare almost right from the start, or working on you know, 401k or IRAs, working towards that. You know, a lot of times that doesn't happen for a very long time for younger companies, and we wanted to do that as quickly as possible and bring again. It's like taking care of people and you know just building a viable, rich environment, and I, I feel like that is what has always been taught in the front scene. Do you feel that that winds up engendering really strong feelings within your, your you know, workers uh, in support of you because of that level of treatment and, and probably their awareness having worked in other places of what it's like to work in other places where you're not treated with that level of respect and care? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's not, definitely not easy. Um, well, I will say that a lot of the employees here have been in bands and in the punk scene as well. So in, in general, we've, we've, we also employ uh, uh, band people in, in many ways. So the transition from playing guitar or playing in a band to working in a beer scene, is, you know, especially in Philadelphia, seems to work out pretty well as well. But do you get people who are coming in who have, who are maybe operating on punk time or you know want to do things in a looser way and, and maybe aren't as accustomed to a more structured uh, environment? Like you know, you are running a business, so sure. it does need to have some, some well, that, structure to it. I will say the more beer we make, the more structured it is getting. It just happens. It has to happen that way. Like, like I was telling you on the tour, you know, we have, we're brewing 24/7, five days a week. So things need to get done in a certain amount of time. But again, you know, definitely a DIY punk band doing things at certain times, getting things done, and it has to get done. That that, that translates as well. So you just you know translate that to making beer and getting it out the door. Basically. Did you want to add anything, JP, to what Rob said? Um, I guess, I mean, yeah, when I, I guess when I, sh I started working with Jeremy uh, to, to do design for the brewery was around 2010. I'd already, I'd already 
already been working with him um, in the context of making artwork for bands on his record label for Jumpstart. Um, and I just finished up, I think, a Horace Painter record or something. And um, he was like, hey, would you want to take a crack at like logos and cans for this brewery I'm doing? That the stuff, the stuff that they made initially, I don't, I don't know who did the, the original stuff, but it just didn't like, I mean, it, 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 it like worked for like what it was, but it didn't, um, it didn't like let you know who anyone was that made the beer. There was no personality to it. I remember there was like fake wood in the background of one of them. I just thought that was like, fuck, I can impose this fake wood on a label. And uh, and so I I just basically approached the whole thing as like, uh, like what would like a punk flyer version or like, I remember like the color thing like being like, kind of influenced by Goosebumps and like wanting to make like our beers look like Goosebumps book covers. Goosebumps very punk. There's, I, whatever, I think I think that's like the, we're like the grown up version of Goosebumps for the MIB. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that's that the mentality of, of people in the punk scene and like the kind of like wide open tent but sort of like self-aware vibe that goes through our scene is also the one that is here at the brewery and it's really useful to like have been in those places and experienced the scene before getting here and uh, yeah like when, when you when you meet the people that work here like the, we employ a lot of people in bands I feel like and we also um, just the people like like you listen to the music that's being played over the stereo in the brewing area and it's like what I'd be listening to if I was at home anyway. It always just it always just feels like it fits, you know, like everyone just sort of gets it on it's cool. Um, yeah, it's a rad place rad place to be a part of for sure. Now, Mike, tell me about you know, what was your idea in starting a grindcore house, doing a vegan coffee house in Philadelphia, amongst, you know, obviously many other cafes and, and coffee houses in the city. Yeah, I think the uh, the desire came from like two different big sources. Um, one is just always wanting to do stuff with my friends, and uh, you know, my, my partner in crime at the time, Dave Anthem, and I just did everything together. Had all sorts of really projects going on all the time. So um, yeah, it was kind of like a brainchild, something we just kicked around for a while, and just some stars aligned and it came together. But, um, I also had this kind of burning desire to do like a place and because um, for like 10 years I was doing a bunch of nerdy shit for bands and labels and stuff um, it definitely occurred to me one night that everything I worked on for 10 years could just be deleted and that was kind of fucking depressing so it was like oh a place would be much cooler so um, you know kind of dreamed up a place that would kind of combine uh, another universal beverage, coffee, um, and uh, trying to make a coffee house that kind of embodied a lot of those other, like the, the ethics that we had, whether it's like any authoritarianism and veganism, obviously, being like unapologetically vegan about it and just proving that like, you don't need fucking cow's milk in coffee or something. Um, and uh, yeah, so, um, somehow it just became a reality. But did it, when, you, when you opened up the place, did you find a lot of people coming in who were taken aback by the fact that it was a vegan coffee house? Because I would imagine that many people have not been in a vegan coffee house before, might not be 
used to how it works and you know what you offer and your point of view that you're coming from. Yeah, somewhere most people were most people were actually surprisingly cool about it. Um, we expected way more people to like kind of just laugh at us and leave, or just we only had like one guy like throw a cup of coffee at somebody and like just is like outraged. What was he insane to start with, or did, did, did your uh, you know did the grind courthouse drive him over the edge? No, I think thought it was just a fucking hillbilly, and it, I like yeah. He's lucky I wasn't there at the time. But I think that I have like the best staff ever. We got 10 or 12 people all the time now, and I have like the hardest working staff you can ask for. And uh, despite how abrasive we look from like the logo, or the exterior, or the name, they, they, no one knows what it means and can't read it anyway. So, but when they come in um, and we kind of like throw them off by being like we don't have half and half, um, they managed to somehow like kill them with kindness or something or just make everybody feel welcome and just like make it less weird and uh, they've done it now for seven years and it's um, they really deserve all the credit for that but they've um, really helped uh, just a South Philly neighborhood ultimately come around and embrace us back so we've got lots of regulars and stuff. You know, one of the things that I was always most surprised about when, when you first opened the place was that it was is very welcoming. It's it, it doesn't look like you know a grotty punk establishment. You know, it's not festooned with graffiti. It's not dirty. The people working there aren't a bunch of surly you know fuck ups. It, it is an inviting place for people who have no real interest in you know that scene to come into and still feel welcome and comfortable. Oh, thanks. But I mean, I, I mean, there must have been some thought in going into it that you would, you know, create a place yeah. that wasn't meant to keep people out, but sort of to welcome people in. Yeah, we definitely tried to find, like strike a balance all the time between um, something not like we not, we never like compromised in any way, but it was just trying to find something that wasn't like too off-putting um, and yeah, felt welcoming enough, and we could still get a kick out of. Um, you know, them listening to an Alamont track in the back when they're feeding their baby like a bagel or something. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's about finding a balance, I guess, where like, people will deal with the, the, the grind um, that's playing. Um, um, Fair enough. Uh, Shannon, any thoughts about what you want to bring into doing a, a vegan bakery? Um, well, I started by studying biochemistry and I dropped out of grad school to start making better vegan goods using the like, science that I knew from biochemistry. Um, so I started doing that just because there was things that I was really excited about, like trying to replicate like the structures of eggs without eggs. It was just like fun and I did it for another company for several years and then I was making them all this money but having to make these like shitty decisions and like treating people poorly and not paying them well and I was like, why would I just not do this for myself? So I moved from DC to Philly to open my own bakery and then like serendipitously met another punk just like through mutual friends who had like the same vision in mind with mine. So right now we're just doing wholesale stuff so that we don't have to deal with people. Uh, we can pretty much just like stay in the kitchen and do what we want and then just deliver to coffee shops and not have to like interact 
face to face with customers all the time. Right, right. No, I, I can certainly see the advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, did you eat a lot of really bad vegan uh, treats that were you know sold out in the world and and you know, pound yourself on the head saying yeah. this is also wrong it could be so much better. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Tennessee and uh, like vegan cheese wasn't available in Tennessee even when I was like a senior in college. I was like bulk ordering like 20 pound bags of Daya to like come to me frozen and then I would like break it into pieces and like freeze it. So I, I think it just like came out of like not having access to anything and needing to like DIY it. Is there anything in particular you think is often wrong with um, other vegan treats? Like I often think that sometimes they're they're overly sweet to maybe make up for the fact that people have other expectations, so they get kind of pummeled with the, the sweetness sometimes. I think it like can be really hard to cut the sugar, but I think there's there's ways to do it. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Like. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> Mike, uh, do you have any thoughts uh, on this? Um, well, early on, just being involved in art, I was got into graphic design around the same time that I started tattooing. And I went to school for graphic design, got a graphic design job, but also tattooed on the weekends. And um, after touring in a band for a long time, uh, together also with Josie, um, we kind of ended up being the ones that organized a lot of the stuff and just became really good at it. Um, organizing tours and getting merch printed and stuff like that. So when that ended, I just felt like I didn't really want to work for somebody else because I thought that I would be maybe better at that kind of stuff. Um, and just didn't really feel like I wanted, I felt like part of the aesthetic of any of the other kind of places that were doing those things in Philly. Um, while there's amazing artists and awesome shops in the city, I just wanted a place where I could do all that stuff and not have to feel bad about, you know, checking my email in the middle of the day at a tattoo shop and stuff. Um, and also from years of touring and just like being around, I'm just not like a fucking tough guy, like tat tattooer. And I just wanted a place where I could do that and have people come in and have a really good experience and treat them nice and have conversations and do it in a place that's beautiful and private and um, you know, just kind of do the art that I like, and so I did that. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a great thing, because having gone to you know tattoo places when I was younger, where there weren't as many options, it would always be run by meatheads, and I would happen to notice the little swastika that was just under the you know sleeve of his short sleeve or something, or you know biker dudes with naked ladies on the walls and all this, and it certainly it wasn't reflective of me or what I wanted to do, but that was it. Yeah, and nowadays it's like that is a valuable experience to do that. Like sometimes people want to go and get treated like kind of like a dickhead, you know? Um, I suppose that is an option. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that like maybe a thing that we all have in common is that most people that are in the pump don't like to be told what to fucking do. And, uh, so I created a place where I didn't have to have people telling me what to do and I could have other people work there in a in an organization that was like horizontally managed. So I'm not telling them what to do either. It's really designed around everybody 
having flexibility for their own life. And I found that, you know, people that are motivated and hardworking, they like thrive in that. And do you, I mean, do you find people that just don't work well in that situation? Because it's sort of your, your situation presupposes that someone has a certain level of maturity and you know commitment to the idea and isn't just a, a, a flake. Kind of like what we were talking about, you know, with working. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, there's definitely like personalities that fit better than others, and that has proven to happen. That's <laughs> um, just like there's nothing wrong with that. Other people want to be in more of a structured situation and that works too, but yeah, I mean, I'm like really proud of what we've made and it's exciting, so. Now Josie, you just opened your salon, right? Yeah, I opened about a month ago. Yeah, one month ago. And is this the first business that you've operated? It's the first business that I've operated, yeah. Um, I guess I wanted to open up a business and I feel like I was never a good employee. I always questioned authority. I guess I came from my corporate roots. Um, so I felt like I wanted to be in a place where like, my ideas were heard and I was able to like figure out, like, find like-minded people and everything. And especially in the beauty industry, there's like so much of a way that people are supposed to look and everything and like the popular, like, you know, to look like that I wanted a place where maybe people can like be free to look however they want and we could like cater to those kinds of people you know like we'll take anybody who wants to look any certain way and we'll cater to those people you know it's not like this like bubble of people that oh you have to look like this and this is all we're pushing out you know and I think that's like the cool thing about like finding my co-workers too is that like we all are like like-minded and have the same ideas and everything so it's really cool like curating a space like that. Have you found effective ways to let people know that this is a, a welcoming space and not a sort of you know elitist snooty type salon? Oh definitely yeah like my clientele is anywhere from like the 60 year old like center city woman who just like is like a little edgy or um, or, you know, just like somebody who's like, just like you and me, you know? Um, but I feel like we have a good overall welcoming vibe and we're not like pushing anything in anyone's face that people don't want, you know? I, th I think you've all mentioned that coming out of punk, you're more, uh, you're not accustomed to taking orders from people and you know, have certain issues with authority and that kind of would push everybody into doing these businesses. Uh, but ultimately, you're also, you're coming under the umbrella of, let's say, the city of Philadelphia or uh, L&I, some form of license, inspection, taxes, you know, there's, there's a, you're moving into a very structured environment where you're very closely monitored for a variety of reasons, depending on, you know, which type of business you run. Um, and, you know, coming out of the underground scene where maybe you've, you've gone to shows in basements uh, or warehouses where there was really no structure and no supervision and everything was done on the slide, I'm curious how you all adapted to the fact that although you're individualistic and perhaps varying degrees of anti-authoritarian, how you deal with the ultimate authority of the, the city, the state, you know, in operating. And I kind of think it was up to, you know, anybody who wants to throw in uh, comments about it. Um, I'll talk about it because 
as a tattoo studio, we have a lot of hoops to go through with the health department, and uh, the city of Philadelphia requires that you have to have a body art certificate, and there's a big process to go through to get that, and just to be able to open a studio, and then once you do that, you have to go through a process of, of uh, getting a zoning variance from the city and the neighborhood, so you actually have to go and present the idea to the neighbors and the vicinity of where you're going to open because tattooing is considered a nuisance, like the same way as like a strip club, which is does that stand to change at some point? It seems sort of an antiquated view. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, yeah, I mean, I just had to redo that again. And I think a thing that you described about you know playing house shows and touring—it's like a system that really relies on you not being a dickhead to people. Like, you kind of have, you don't really build those relationships by being like a jerk in a band. So, it's the same way I'm trying not to be a jerk who runs a business. Just like, get to know our neighbors and be nice to people. And I'm just naturally kind of like, like to hear what people do and stuff like that. So, I, I think like, whereas the health department might come to a studio like ours and they're considered the enemy. I'm, I'm like psyched for them to come because I want tattoo shops to be clean and people to, you know, not have to worry about that kind of stuff. So I'm like super nice to them, and I, they end up they end up being really cool to us. So um, yeah, that is an interesting game. Well, Shannon, you were saying that you know you didn't like having a say a storefront because you didn't want to have to deal with the public, but you've certainly got a person coming in with a clipboard who's inspecting you know all of your setup. I mean, how do you how do you wind up working with that? I mean, I can deal with people. I'm like I'm good with people. I just have a very small tolerance window for people, so it's nice to be able to just deal with the people that it's like I know I have to deal with, and it's like again, like um, Mike was saying. Like, you know, I want my kitchen to be clean. I want to know that my food is safe and like no one's going to get sick. Um, taxes suck. There's no way around that. But that's even true as a person. Like I was an independent contractor before I owned a business and I still paid too many taxes and had less say over what I was doing. Um, so I think it like, it's just like goes hand in hand with like deciding where your money goes and who you give your money to. Just like you have to deal with that to make those decisions. Did you gentlemen want to say something about dealing with, I mean, you must be under a lot of different forms of, of scrutiny and structure to run a, a business of this magnitude. Sure. I mean, dealing, especially when you're making alcohol, everything has to be documented and taxed and stuff like that. So, just like what they were saying, is we're, we're trying to play ball just as much as anybody else. I mean, when we started the brewery, we just, this whole facility is just a, a, a dead-end road in Croydon. It's a big, you know, warehouse. You know, the laws in Pennsylvania were not what they were when we started, so we couldn't have a tap room. So when we did open the tap room a couple years ago, we had to deal with our neighbors and let them know that things are going to change around here. You know, so that's that's been a whole thing. We've done everything we can to make them happy. It might not always work, but it's, it's definitely been working. Um, but when we get the I was just thinking of it too, that when we got started, you know, getting a brewery license, you know, on the state level and on the federal level, it took a long time. You know, if we, we wanted, we applied in 2010, we wanted to be, we could have been open that year, it didn't take that long for the paper. So again, Jeremy, my partner, we got a lot more 
he is a very boisterous and uh, he knows what he wants and he his rashness I think comes with the territory but he, he called up the state senator uh, Senator Mugolini and helped pass uh, our paperwork through to get it if it was just sitting on a stack somewhere we would have been open way later than 2012 so I think the, the attitude of I know what I want and I need to get it really comes to a head with situations like that um, and that goes forward to reinterpreting laws so between uh, Jeremy and one of the brewers and owners of Free Will Brewing up in Percocy, they helped change a law or a reinterpretation of a law so that we could have tap room in a brewery without having to have a kitchen. So again, it's you know looking at the details, and being vocal, and getting out there and working for change. And you know that has really transformed our brewery. You know, especially because now we have a full tap room here where people can come and talk to us and see what we're about. And that. You know, think about having a tavern, it's a whole other revenue stream that we didn't have before. And it's been pretty great. Did you have anything you wanted to say about dealing with the, you know, the city of Philadelphia and all the agencies that you need to go through? Um, well, that, all that stuff definitely sucks. It does. There's like no way around it. But I agree with everybody who said like, you can use your business to an advantage where you can almost like use it to change things. And it's almost like a small organization that you can use to like change laws and change things in your neighborhood and everything like that. So I feel like that's kind of cool. So like kind of like working around it in that way. Mike? Uh, we did a lot of the, um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than get permission. Um, <laughs> when it came to building out our place and everything, um, and that's probably, we were probably able to get away with that because of where we're at uh, in the city. Um, but uh, to everyone else's point, once you're trying to, once you're employing people who are re like relying on you for their livelihood and, uh, you know, and all that, I mean, you really have no choice but to um, just play by the, their rules every once in a while or like um, just go through a bunch of formalities and, and things that are kind of annoying. But um, I think for all of us, once you've decided to embark on one of these ideas, you're just down to do whatever it's going to take um, to kind of see your project come into existence, you know. But a question specifically for the vegans, uh, Shannon and Mike. Uh, both of you came into your business based on your personal ethics, uh, and that was with, you know, motivated for the idea of the business. Uh, and for a while, there was, you know, veganism was say a sort of a foodie trend. You know, there was a zeitgeist where it was it was a cool thing to be vegan. Uh, or at least to eat vegan sometimes. And then you know, the zeitgeist changes and then everyone loves artisanal bacon or something. Uh, so I'm curious if, if you felt um, you know, the, the zeitgeist affect your business, if there's been times that in, you know, you've seen veganism in the media and people pay more attention to what you, what you do, and then other times when it, uh, you know, the, the zeitgeist moves away from that and then maybe you see some business recede from what you do because it's not as cool. Maybe. Replaced with a paleo diet or something. Yeah, we definitely have experienced some of that. We have a lot of people that come to us thinking that like the desserts that we make are healthy. Healthy, vegan even is healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always just like, it's still sugar, it's still oil, it's still gluten. You, you can't just eat the baked goods instead of vegetables, and then you're cool. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just like explaining. 
explaining to people like what you do and what you're there for and why. We have a lot of people who are like, oh, I have like an egg allergy, but can't you just make me a cake with dairy in it anyways? Not what we do. Um, I think it's just like holding your ground and explaining like why you're there. Um, you know, I don't, we've had also a lot of things like other food trends, like people thinking everything we do is gluten free because they confuse gluten free and vegan. Do you put forward any form of a, a mission statement, uh, you know, out publicly to say what you what you stand for, why you elect to do what you do in the manner you do it? Um, I mean, like to people individually, there's not like a public mission statement that's like we're vegan for the earth, for the animals. I mean, I think like people who know like Megan and I individually like know why we're vegan, and it's like not a surprise. And I think like Mike also does a really good job of stuff where it's like doing this for an ethical stance, and so you can also like correlated into other things like you know Mike did a lot with like the Dakota Access Pipeline and like we said use our resources to try to do the same thing where like this ties into veganism through like agriculture and the earth and like it's just like you know trying to put your message out in the right ways and like how it's connected and hopefully getting people to make those connections. Uh, what do you think Mike? Um, let me put some thoughts together we, I, I wouldn't. I won't go so far to say that we were like we thought we'd make a bunch of converts or anything, um, but we just, I guess, simply maybe aim to make veganism a little less weird. And I, I mean, I think that not because of us, but in the last seven years since we've been around, a lot of other forces have also just made that kind of happen. I think that a lot of people know about veganism. It's your dad might have tried it by now. I mean, I feel like it, it's way more accessible. Um, and, and, feel, and I could be in a little bubble here because Philly is like one of the, could be the best vegan city. Um, but uh, yeah, so maybe that kind of just, you know, we were lucky or something because of, that's happened, I feel like. You know, it's gotten a little less weird. You've had, you've had speakers out to talk about the various animal issues and environmental issues before, I guess. Yeah, yeah. From everyone from Rod Coronado and Gary Francione, some people with uh, uh, all over that spectrum, for sure. Uh, this is a question open open to everybody. Sometimes within some segments of punk, there is a certain critique of, of capitalism or, or an issue with capitalism. Some, you know, punks, especially younger ones perhaps living with their parents, don't want to make money or, or make a profit and feel that there's something uh, suspect or morally bankrupt about profiting in some way. So I'm wondering if any of you come from any kind of a, a background or have issues with capitalism and thus have had to structure your businesses to work around these uh, political groups or, or social groups? Um, well, I, I mean, I think I think you have to take the lessons you learned listening to records growing up and apply them to like how you do business and maybe who you do business with. You have to work within a system that you're living in. I mean, Legitimacy to the pursuit you have, and so like for me, like not 
not doing design work or illustration for companies that suck. And like, you know, like sometimes that means like turning down a potentially big job, but um, doing so knowing that like it doesn't matter in the long run. Like, you know, you wanna you wanna get better at your craft or you wanna have a pursuit that you're passionate about, and um, just not not like lending that out to everybody all the time. Or like maybe uh, just like letting uh, like some of what you learned growing up like dictate like the way you do business with people and like how you treat people in general like would be like a huge thing. And then like just doing that alone makes you an exception to the rule within a system like ours where everything is done for profit and no consideration is given to the people that you interact with or that you work for uh, or you serve. And if, if you're doing that due diligence in the process of making your product or doing your service, then you've already gone ahead of, like, you're in the 99th percentile at that point, just by virtue of your consciousness to those things. So, um, no, I mean, you, like, I mean, look, like, at some point you grew up to realize that, like, someone's paying for your school lunch, and, like, you can be civically engaged about it, or you can be aware of where your money goes and how you use your financial uh, independence in our ecosystem versus like just trying to buck it and leave it. And, you know, at a certain point you have to either play the game or like leave the studio, right? If you're doing a thing or serving a function or providing a, a business to somebody, um, then it's just about like making sure that you do so conscientiously, not like not being the thing that you rebel against or you, know, you never want to become the thing you hate. So. Squeezing weasel? Show myself out. Perfect, perfect, perfectly applicable. Uh, anybody else want to throw in uh, comments on this? Um, yeah, I think it's. I think owning a business is cool in that way that you can like support the companies that you want to support, like carry the products that you want to carry, where it's not like it's stuff that you believe in, and then also creating a great work environment for people where you're giving them like a fair commission and things like that. Like that's what I wanted to do. I felt like in my industry. A lot of people, a lot of the business owners and salon owners don't even like work behind the chair anymore. So I felt like making sure that your coworkers are getting paid like what they should be getting paid. And then also knowing that maybe they don't want to work all day, every day, and making sure that they have a life outside of work and everything and just creating a good work environment for people. Yeah. You guys both kind of talked about it a little bit, but I think, you know, we were in a, a band together that was like socio-politically cr critiquing, so this is like especially true to, <laughs> to us. But I, you were in Crass? What's up? You were in Crass? <laughs> I was not personally in Crass. Ignorant. I am a big fan of Crass. Um, no, I think that the amount of small businesses that actually employ more than one person is like a super small percentage. So to have created a space that you know uses the ethics that we talked about and what Josie said about creating a place that treats people fair and and essentially creating jobs in that environment to give people that alternative is pretty invaluable because you know, 
as you get older, you need to make a living, or at least at some <laughs> some uh, level. And I think that you know to be able to provide a place where a person who shares the same musical tastes or political socio passions as we do can can still like own a home and you're in effect saving them uh, you know providing them that that yeah, job exactly. that you know, who knows and, what they would have done otherwise yeah and to have a job that's a place where they want to go and hang out with their friends is fucking cool you know so Shannon <laughs> did you want to say anything about this Can't do shit, but I'll, I'll be happy. <laughs> like, you know, I think it's like recognizing, like that you want to like treat people well. And, like, yeah, I, you know, I get to employ a bunch of women. They're all vegan. Like, it's like nice, you know, basically seeing like your ethics in action. Like, is it all women that work for you? Is that by intention? Legally, no. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Do you want to say anything more about that? Or that? Okay. Uh, Mike, did you want to address this? Capitalism? Yeah, this one's tough. Uh, it's definitely something I've struggled with a lot. And probably the only one of the businesses that has like a radical library in the back that's got all sorts of alternate forms of economy and social structure and stuff like that. So um, I have to almost watch what I say. But uh, yeah, there, there's like a weird guilt there and I don't know how to like articulate how I navigate around it um, but I would say I think that, and this is probably obvious I hope to anyone who knows me that like money isn't the motivating factor um, and it but you know the whole nature of capitalism is that you need capital to do a lot of stuff um, and that means that you need money or other equipment or other stuff um, and um, even more importantly than all that, like, you need time, and that's like ultimately the most precious thing to me now. Um, I don't know, just from getting older or whatever. Um, and I don't think it's wrong for people to feel like they need to be kind of compensated for that, like, most precious resource, um, and how they choose to spend that. Um, and if you can find a way to do something that like brings value to other people or enjoyment or something and they want to like give you money, then um, yeah, I think you should be able to sleep well at night. Um, yeah, as long as you're not like you're not. With the high thread count sheets. Absolutely. That doesn't fly. Uh, I'm going to answer my own question as well because I just want to throw it because I also own a business and, and what I always thought was the, was the best thing about running my business was that thing saved me from what probably would have been a horrible life uh, in that having grown up in a blue collar working class family I felt like my options were work for my father's labor union or work for the New Jersey Turnpike way up north at 3 o'clock in the morning or join the army. And those were the three options. I had a high school education and no option to go to college because no one in my family went to college. So starting the little businesses that I started allowed me to live in a way that I wasn't crushed into the fucking earth 
uh, you know, like a little insect. And to me, that was a great thing. That was the thing that allowed me to live. And, and I have no moral issues with that. Okay, anyways. Uh, so I want to go into something, uh, actually, Mike, you just mentioned this. Um, all of you running businesses have had to make a series of tremendous sacrifices of your time. I mean, if, the, if, if you're essentially married to your business, and it will completely consume and subsume you into it because it's, it's so demanding of your time. Uh, and I'm curious if you felt like you've made, uh, you know, if you sacrificed any sort of intellectual or emotional growth by devoting so much time to working on this project that you ever feel that you've kind of almost built a little prison around yourself um, it's hard to break free from because in order to sustain this thing that you do, you have to be constantly devoted to it. So this is open to all of you, and you know, I'd like to hear what everybody has to say about that. So many, please. I mean, when Jeremy approached me about starting a brewery, I was a home brewer, and I was just really getting into craft beer. And he's a very convincing talker, I'll just put it that way. And so when I said yes to starting a brewery, I had no fucking idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and especially the size. So sometimes, just like when I said I would jump in that van and like go out with my friends, and I was done with that part of my life, I was supposed to this other huge task, and I was like, fuck it, and you kind of go for it. And you learn a lot along the way, but for those, I would say for the first, I would say first four years, from 2010 to 2014, it was rough as hell, you know? But again, you're trying to build something and you just say yes to everything that you have to do to get the, the job done. And last couple of years, it's kind of mellowed out a little, but there's still a million other challenges just in a different spot, you know? So I, I see where, you know, there's definitely sacrifices, but I, I've honestly learned so much more by doing something like this. And I feel like, a, I don't know, I finally feel like an adult. It's a weird thing, but I just feel like a kid for a long time, you know? You start being in charge of certain things and you want things to be a certain way and your, your perspective on things change. So. Yeah, I think I think you just commit yourself to something and you just spend all of your like kind of energy and waking hours thinking about it or even if it's like in the back of your mind while you're like at a movie or something, like there's always like it's a lifestyle choice to commit yourself to a pursuit like doing a business or like having a hobby that you're serious about or anything, you know, it's like skateboarding or playing music or drawing pictures or brewing beer, like you just, um, like you never turn it off, like it's always a part of you, it's always kind of there, uh, and like I, like I just stay up all the time, like I feel like I, I, you know, like if I didn't have a roommate who would like knock on my door and be like, hey, leave, leave your fucking room today. Like, I, I would just, like, I would just sit around and draw and just, like, or, like, split my time between that and just, like, trying to find ideas or inspirations or stuff. Like, it never, it never goes away. Like, the itch is always there. And then there's always a voice in your head that's telling you, like, you're a charlatan and that uh, everything you're doing is bullshit and you need to work harder. So, as long as that's there and you don't start getting comfortable with yourself, then maybe it's, like, uh, still an ongoing process. Yeah, so Grindcore is one of like four companies that I'm somehow involved with, which... How so are you even here? Aren't you supposed to be working I right should now? not be here. I should not be here. Um, uh, yeah, uh, 
yeah, there's there's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of like um, strings or, or burdens that come with it. Um, it. You just I don't know how to describe it. I think that um, for one, I think there's like a weird compulsion where like you get a certain idea and um, you're just not gonna not do it. And um, like what all these people that I'm sitting with like have must have the same sort of disease or something because you just you commit to something you don't even understand the amount of time and effort and everything it's going to take and how long it's going to you know you're going to be um, just entwined with this thing um, and the next thing you know like you know five seven ten years like pass and you've been you know tattooing for half your life now like right like it's just People are living to really long ages now, so you can look forward to like another 50 years of this. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've definitely missed a lot of shows that I wanted to go to. Uh, I mostly bake at nights on weekends, so I do definitely feel like I don't have a social life anymore. Being out in public without like cakes with me feels like I'm like a big foot in public, like, like rare sight. Yeah, where, where are my cakes at? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I try and, like, keep educating myself. I think it's a lot of, like, manual labor where you're, like, solo. So I listen to, like, a lot of podcasts to try and, like, stay sharp and, like, at least, like, I don't know, feel like I'm, like, existing in the public world. You, you can't get your other women to do all the baking while you just count the money? <laughs> it's not possible. Oh, yes, that's true. No one will ever know. Mike, did you want to say anything about uh, being eaten alive by your own business? Um, yeah, we have a very unique situation um, as a couple. Um, starting a business and going like full tilt at it really required a lot of patience on her part when I did it. And um, since then, it's been kind of a struggle to find a life balance. So we have a lot of conversations about that. Um, but now for the past like eight months, she's been working on a business. So I've had a unique look into what she went through. Um, and it's been pretty fucking brutal. <laughs> um, I mean, she's perfectly charming to look at. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, but you do it because you love it and people rely on you and that really draws this compulsion from you to do, to see your vision through. And, I, and we've said this a bunch because a lot of times when you're doing something that you feel really passionate about and you're doing it because you think it's, it's exciting and different, um, you really have to work hard and fight, that, fight for that because most people do the bare minimum, and that drives me fucking crazy. But when you're doing that, it starts to seem like the world is designed against you because everything becomes more impossible. Um, and we've had that happen a lot in the past few months, but I always say, like, if, you, if it was easy to do cool shit, then everyone would do cool shit. So, cheers to cool shit. <laughs> Josie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I do think it's almost like an addiction where I feel like you get an idea in your head and you just want to see it through, and then once you see it through, you want to see what else you can do. So it's just like it's like. 
like this continuous thing of like wanting to do more. Um, but it also is awesome when like a coworker or an employee comes up and tells you how happy they are for being a part of it. It just like makes it all worth it. So I feel like when you have so many people like relying on you and everything, you kind of have to keep on going and you have to be the driving force because if not, nobody else is going to do it. So we, we could check back in in a year or two. Is your hair going gray yet? Uh, so a week before I opened, I had never had gray hair before and all my clients always complain about gray hair and I'm like, what's the deal? Like it's just gray hair. And a week before I had gray hair right in the front. I'm like, oh, You're doomed. Duh. Absolutely doomed. Yeah. Look at Mike and I. Look at all this gray. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if this, this question is necessarily applicable really to anybody here, but I'll throw it out if anybody wants to comment on it. I personally think, and, and maybe I'm in the minority here, that Donald Trump is a fucking asshole. And I'm curious, if, and maybe no one agrees with me, but do any of you feel that now having Trump in power in any way affects your business or the way that you'll be conducting affairs going forward? Does it have an adverse, possibly a positive effect on you know, any of the businesses sitting here or the people running the businesses sitting here? And that's whoever wants to comment on that. I guess I like to look on the brighter side and see that maybe because of what is happening that people are starting to maybe more take a stance against things that they disagree with and it's like bringing people out so like you know like I feel like women are feeling more empowered now and like more people are starting to see injustices and being like oh yeah maybe we should stand up for this so maybe that's a good thing that came out of all of this if there is a good thing. That, that seems quite feasible. Any other uh, comments on Trump? We, no, no obligation to say anything. I just, you know, leaving it open here. I mean, our whole business is about water. So, yeah. I, I mean, besides the other ethical issues with the Dakota pipeline and all that, I mean, the fracking that is happening around the country. Like, I mean, I mean we made one post many years ago about, you know, just being aware of fracking might happen in Pennsylvania. We got shit on pretty quickly. But it doesn't matter. It's like, if the Delaware River is polluted, what, what do you think 30 million people get their water? Well, then you, then you get a lot of people who are going to come up against the fact that they're like, hey man, can't you just sell beer? We don't want to hear you fucking politics. We yeah. just want to drink, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the truth. I mean, besides that, I mean, we're... I can't tell you how many people ask for free beer for everything, and we have to actually stop at some point and do a certain amount of charity events for a month because there's so much beer going out the door sometimes. So I mean, you pick and choose it, but you want to be involved with everything you can, you know. But definitely, uh, water is uh, obviously a huge thing for us. Well, I want to put it up, uh, you know, kind of coming to an end, and I want to have everybody talk about whatever projects they're working on now or things going forward. But before then, if there are any questions from any uh, audience members, uh, we, we welcome those. Anyone? Jade. Actually, do you mind if I give you the mic? For the recording. Yeah, sure. I actually have two questions. Um, the first question being, what do you find is your obligation to your local person or your local community in general? Um, and then two, because there are three graphic designers, what do you, how do you tell the 
Good. Well, I guess the second question first, right? Like, uh, you can't. I mean, you can't. You can't do like an honest job at branding for a company that doesn't isn't rooted in punk and doesn't have those ethics and try to like push your ideology on it. You just have to like, you know, I mean, you come from the world you come from, and you're gonna you're gonna use the things that inspire you as a resource and as inspiration. And as long as that's true to yourself, when you go to make a thing that turns into a logo, that will be apparent. But you can't, you know, like, uh, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing branding for uh, a friend's farm right now, and they're they just grow like organic tomatoes and lettuce and all kinds of stuff for people. Like you can't you can't like push punk onto like big lettuce. Like there's no there's no like there's no room for like you know like punk type in uh, in like cherry tomato stuff. But what you can do is like take all the cues that you've been inspired by and find relevant to yourself and uh, think about those and turn those into your action on the project. And as long as that's the case, you can end up with something that you look at and are happy with and feel like doesn't run counter to the person you are, but still serves the purpose of uh, lending a voice and a, uh, an image to a thing that isn't intrinsic to you, you know, like uh, farm. What was the first question? I, I missed it. Uh, was it the responsibility to the community? Is that the, the, do you feel do you feel a responsibility to the punk scene, the punk community? In, in I some think way? luckily none of us ever really grow out of it, so we're still part of it, right? Like we're still at shows. We'll just be like the, the guy or gal or person in the back of it, and uh, you know, I, I think as long as you're still attending and as long as you're still caring about the people around you and uh, the music that inspires you, then doing the thing, you know? That's all it takes is like being a person who came to the show once in a while or doing, uh, I don't know, something nice for somebody and not expecting something in return, maybe. I don't know. Anyone else have any uh, comments about Kate's question? Um, about the graphic design thing? Um, so we, in addition to tattooing, we are like a full-on design company and, and we are essentially selling branding to people. Um, and I guess I agree with everything you said as well. At, to have a client come to you and essentially they're paying for your philosophy on branding. And I think that, like you said, like you bring that to the table. And one of the reasons that sets us and our design apart is because the philosophy of branding that we grew up with, with bands and the brands like Vans, I just rhyme three times, like, um, like skateboard companies and BMX and like the companies that you kind of associate with punk growing up, like they're like really like living brands, like they're, they're not just one logo, they're like five new shirt designs every six months and like, you know, it's constantly evolving and it feels like really like something that you want to be a part of. So that's kind of like what, that's how we approach branding as designers. And I, I think that's cool because it's, it's a unique perspective that like, you know, Dick's at an ad agency, like are, they're selling like bullshit marketing and social strategies and stuff that are like, 
they're not really like things that you can like show the result of. So I think that maybe I'm um, getting at like bringing a sense of honesty to what you're selling is important, you know? Um, the thing about the community, it's like, I haven't been to a show in forever because we're so fucking busy, but we try to keep, have always uh, kept like an open door policy, like bands can crash in our house. Um, I, we've slept on a thousand floors, so it's like karma. Like, at least it's been a minute, but we always let bands stay. Um, and I do feel like, even beyond that, uh, obligation to the neighborhood that we live in, like, um, and the city that we live in, but specifically, I just had to go through the process of, like, dealing directly with neighbors about what our business is going to bring to the block. And I think that that's something that I take really seriously. Um, and us as a business, we're trying to organize in Fishtown um, a group that really affects development and um, design in the neighborhood for like development and other businesses coming through there's like a like a hole in that where they're just building all this ugly shit and there's no one to say like hey we think this is ugly you know so we're trying to do that as a as a local business any other uh, questions from anybody Okay, uh, I guess uh, we can start with Josie. We just want to go around and just say, you know, what you're what you're working on now, or you know, whatever projects you're engaged in. Um, so it's only been a month since we've been open, so I'm still working on, you know, promoting the salon. Um, we just had our grand opening party; it was awesome. We want to do events at the space as well, so we want to like have first Fridays there and everything. Just really doing that kind of stuff, just keeping busy with like all the preliminary stuff and hoping to be a part of the community more and, and doing events and not just doing hair and photo shoots and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Sounds good. Hello again. We have our four-year anniversary coming up. We're having a big party on April 29. <laughs> Everybody come! Um, we have a bunch of awesome guest artists coming up. Uh, we have, we're starting an artist residency program. We have a guy, Rich Cowley, uh, from Austin, Texas, come in to spend a week making art at our studio. Uh, and we, uh, later this year, we're going to be moving down the street into a rad new spot. So we'll be talking about that a bunch later. Wait for the right thing to come along. 
What's going on with the Grindcore now? Uh, we're trying to reboot a bunch of uh, events. I think in the beginning we were known for doing a bunch of events, like book signings and talks. And Have you considered Loudfest Philly Live at the Grindcore House? Wait, what? <laughs> People could talk over us at the Grindcore House, too. We, they could do that, yeah. <laughs> We, we could talk about that. So you're, no, you're, you're talking about doing some other events? Yeah, so um, we fell off on doing art shows and um, book signings. And we, we had one really great debate in the, the first year. Um, so there's been a resurgence in motivation from a lot of the people that I work with there. And um, so we're talking about uh, just having a more packed event calendar. And then finding people like the Dark Arts Collective, Bob and Nicole, they're really good at organizing with other artists and, and, and arranging good art events and things like that. So um, we're just we're looking to get a lot of um, yeah, events just back on the calendar. Uh, gentlemen, plans and projects for the future? Um, so June 10th is our fifth anniversary party. So you guys saw the back, we have a lot of room. Uh, hopefully another mosh pit like we did last year. That was a lot of fun. I was hoping for one tonight, but it didn't materialize. It's a, it's a Wednesday. Should we have talked faster and harder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. And then uh, we have the, our, the new Borough Brew House over in Jenkintown opening up sometime in May, as long as inspections and this and that kind of pan out. We're at the will, you know, the beck and call of certain things, just like anybody else. So, but it'll happen. So that's uh, the two biggest things coming up for us. I'm just like a not as, as busy as I've ever been. I feel like just uh, doing. Uh, I just finished two branding projects. Uh, I just redid a logo for a photographer. I've got what seems like an endless amount of fun stuff to do for the Chimney Creek right now. I've got uh, uh, spring and summer apparel for a coffee company that I work for. t-shirts here and they will help me pay my really really horrible taxes that are due on Saturday so uh, if you buy a t-shirt I will love you forever or at least until I get home so again thank you all for coming out and good night